0: The following program may contain adult language and possible brief nudity. Listener discretion is advised. The thoughts and opinions may not reflect those of Tales from the Indies broadcast hosts. It's time for Tales from the Indies. An inside look at independent pro wrestling from two guys who think they know a thing or two about pro wrestling. Here's your hosts, Michael McCormick and Ripper Blackheart.
1: Welcome to the ninth edition of the Tales from Idiots podcast. We've almost hit double figures here, and just in a second I'll be joined by my special guest in Joe Dombrowski. But uh, first, I have to read a prepared statement from Ripper Blackheart's lawyer. He says to tell everyone that his lawyer won't let him appear in the state of West Virginia because he uh, had an unfortunate incident here the last time. So uh, he is barred from the state of West Virginia, so thankfully I have a much better guest this time. In Joe DiMaggio, a very busy man. Uh, very busy. I, I've accomplished seven or eight things just
0: since you started that sentence. That's how busy I am. But I and started you, twelve more. I thank you. I thank you for uh, taking the time and the uh, the willingness and the interest in in talking to me today, as we are uh, uh, sitting here getting ready for a uh, APWA Wrestling event. And uh, it's the calm before the storm right now, but uh, things will be pretty on and popping in a couple
1: hours. At least for you tonight, because you're not promoting the show.
0: I'm, uh, Yeah, well, they won't be busy enough where I will be uh, pulling my hair out and scrambling around and uh, yelling at people for no reason and losing lots of money. I will be standing there holding a microphone as I was born and bred and apt to do.
1: And it's, uh, it's a little different for me because the last couple of days I've got to hang out with the Hall of Fame City Hitman and uh, the... Promoter, he doesn't, I guess, doesn't uh, mind us saying that. And the Dustin Batdorf of Invitational and Juice Jennings, he's uh, he's a lot more calm today than he was Thursday and Friday before that show. So it's got to be a sense of relief to put all that work in and see it pay off and just be done with it. You know, it really is. The,
0: the days leading up to bigger shows as a promoter slash booker, and I spent a lot more time... You know, in the six years in, and, and, you know, prime wrestling, PWO, whatever you want to call it, um, wearing the booker hat, then wearing the promoter hat, anytime I had to wear the promoter hat, I was absolutely overwhelmed to the point I was having panic attacks. But um, to even just be booking a show, you know, those big resolution pay-per-views we did, I remember counting down the days not even necessarily in anticipation of the event, but just anticipation of the ride home after the event, because then I would be able to reflect back and know I pulled it off. You know, I could take a few days to decompress. Um, But more often than not, they were absolutely worth it. I always say promoting wrestling can be uh, when done wrong, the most demoralizing thing psychologically, but when done right, it is just amazingly creatively fulfilling to be able to watch uh, your vision come to life and be able to help uh, young talent who maybe have not been able to work a TV style or work in a 6, 8, 12 month long feud, be able to understand a different facet of the business than they're used to. And hopefully, if the moon and the stars align, prepare them for bigger things down the road.
1: And one of those things, there's a lot of guys right now, and Mason Ryan is on the show, just won the... Uh, Tri-State title last night. I'd like night. to mention that he is dressed in
0: bright fluorescent orange right now.
1: But he's I, the only guy that's big enough of a badass to yeah. couple that with the bright green shoes. He doesn't
0: just stand out because he's 290 and he could knock me over with a feather. Um, but also the fact that he is uh, he is
1: dressed maybe even louder than Facade is on average, and that's not easy to do. I mean, you think Facade would try and fight him over the Neon Ninja title? Um, well, I think Mason's got the neon down. I think he's working on the ninja. That, that might be how he uh, prepares for his match tonight. He's in, in a big four-on-two match uh, with he and Onyx against the Hall of Fame City Hitman.
0: Yeah, Well, Mason Ryan by himself could just be four people, so
1: I'm looking forward to seeing how that will turn out because even though it's four-on-two, I think it might be the four that are at the disadvantage. I don't know about that, because one of those guys is Sherman Tank, and he's like two and a half by himself. Uh,
0: that's true. So really, it really, I just think the ring's going to implode, and we're all going to go home early.
1: Let Except us, the uh, ring crew. Yeah, I hope that that does not happen. <laughs> I do, too, because <laughs> I might be standing in the midst of it. It'll probably end up on YouTube. Probably get a lot of publicity well, out
0: of it. it. it ended up on YouTube when the ring broke in Prime Wrestling, I'll tell you that, with Rhino and Jason Bain, which was, again, live pay-per-view, and one of the most stressful things I had to endure uh, the 45-minute intermission wasn't that great either, um, but uh, just one of the many uh, trials and tribulations of, of this business.
1: Well, in talking about broken rings, let me ask you something. It was a big issue a couple months ago with the, the show in Marion where they didn't get the ring on time, oh, wow. but they were able to uh, continue, and they had Bobby Fulton uh, in the main event, and I think it was Nikolai Volkov was yeah. the other. Um, how handcuffed are you as a promoter there about either way you go? There's not really a, quote, right thing to do.
0: Um, Yeah, I can see that. But at the end of the day, I mean, to put the product out there that they did, and I don't know their situation. I don't know how much they had riding financially. I don't know what the deal was. But I can't understand how I could have presented a product like that and been proud of it and gone online and, and touted it as, as a success. Um, I give all the credit in the world to Bobby Fulton and Nikolai Volkov for trying to give the people their money's worth. But, you know, and that was one of the things I hated as a promoter. As, as a booker, if you tell me, hey, my car broke down, I can't make it to the show, I can fix that. Which is a common
1: occurrence in indie wrestling. I
0: can change a match. I can change a story. I can change something around and make it uh, maybe not better, but at the very least, get where I need to go. If I get a call and say there's no ring or the ring's broken or the venue you're running in, the owner's getting kicked out, or anything like that, I can't fix that problem as easily. That's not creatively challenging. That's, oh, crap. I'm screwed challenging. And that's why promoting is not for me at all.
1: You sleep a lot better at night is what you're saying.
0: Yes, I don't sleep at night at all, but I sleep a lot better in the morning.
1: Well, that's true because you do have about 4,500 projects going on right now, especially uh, uh, a well-received one in the Montreal Theory. Montreal Theory was probably um, far more successful
0: than I ever expected. And to those that don't know, it is... uh, a conspiracy theory esque expose as to whether or not Bret Hart could have been a co conspirator in the Montreal screw job. Possibly he knew in advance. Possibly he helped plan it. Um, there's some high profile people that agree with that philosophy. Steve Carino was my chief skeptic in that uh, DVD, and I, I really wouldn't have had anywhere near as good of a project without Steve. He was amazing. Um, Jerry the King Lawler believes that Brett knew about it going in, and uh, we have a, a, a brief clip of Lawler from an old interview where he talks about it. Um, and I, I think it's great because we don't dictate, we don't indoctrinate, we don't tell people what
1: happened, we just give people possibilities. And we, Right, so you didn't go in with a pre-planned idea of... It is, and we're going to make you believe that. No, we have both sides of the story. We have some
0: great people like Kevin Kelly who argues the opposing side from you know what it was. It was legitimate. I was there. Here's what happened. Here's what I saw. Um, and then Lawler can come back, you know, with his clip. Well, I was at ringside, and it felt kind of funny. Um, you know, you have Raven, who's very, very stubborn in his ways. Um, but I will, I will no, not Raven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, But, uh, you know, there was a point towards the end of the interview, even Raven admitted, you know what? Here's one way Brett could have known about it. Here's where it would have made sense to be a conspiracy. Um, We give you both sides, and we tell the whole story, the official story, quote-unquote, in disc one, and then in disc two, we tear that down, and we ask questions. We ask, uh, why was there a film crew following Brett, and why did Vince allow them at the building? Why did Vince pitch the exact Survivor Series finish a week before... Survivor series involving the screw job and the punch in the face afterwards and that was reported by Dave Meltzer and one of Dave's top sources was Brett himself. So that's credible information. Uh, why don't we know who came up with the sharpshooter? Why were there moving there were moving pieces involved we still don't know about? Because um, everybody's taking credit for that and, and, and nobody can prove it. Um, and most importantly everybody made a ton of money off of it and everybody got what they wanted. Of everybody's still making a ton of money exactly and and you know unfortunately there were a lot of tragedies in between that time period uh, uh, right afterwards but we still got our payoff we still got brett versus vince at wrestlemania i mean vince created mr mcmahon are you going to tell me vince coming out and saying stone cold screwed stone cold isn't a carbon copy of of what happened with brett sean got to win and brett never really lost because he uh, never quit and when, when we all felt bad for Brett, that whole evil Canadian nationalist uh, persona melted away when he was never comfortable with it to begin with. So I think uh, there's a lot of evidence that points that a lot of people uh, uh, benefited from it. And I've had a lot of people, and I won't mention their names because they don't want to go public, but a lot of people very prominently in the business um, who support the fact that Brett was in it. And and a couple I have I have high high respect for. Um, I asked one person to participate, and he said to me, "I don't want to do it because I don't want that kind of heat." So if if there's heat, what don't we know? What's still out there? You know, there's so many questions, and the best part about it, neither side of the story makes any freaking sense. That's how you can't tell me I know for sure because you don't have powers that I don't. And neither side makes
1: sense because you can poke holes like Swiss cheese. Well, it was so fascinating for me growing up. Uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were pretty much my two guys as a kid. Uh, being in that 9- that to 12-year-old range when mm-hmm. you know they were uh, – I actually saw them in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They worked each other in a cage match for a house show when they had uh, the IC and the world mm-hmm. titles. So uh, the night in Dayton, Ohio, when they shook hands, we were about five rows behind from where that happened at. And I don't think that a lot of the younger people necessarily grasp the the gravitas of that situation. Sure, But for me, inside – and, of course, Shawn Michaels was always a little bit more for me. So I was hoping for a super kick (laughs) because you never know, you know, oh, we put them in the ring together. Well, how is that going to end? Right. But – the shaking hands was still a cool moment I still see on every DVD.
0: Yeah, it was big. It was big to see Brett back. And, you know, a lot of people think that I am very anti Brett for making this. Um, and I'm not. Uh, because, um, you know, you could say I'm accusing Brett of being a liar, but wrestling is based on a lie as a business. It's a lie that we willingly and joyfully participate in, but it is a lie nonetheless. Um, So, I've always been a big Bret Hart fan. There are some Hart family members that aren't big fans of mine right now, but I've always been a big Bret Hart fan, and I think if he and Vince did concoct the Montreal conspiracy, they're the two smartest men in wrestling.
1: Now, have you actually gotten the opportunity, after uh, the DVD has come out, to talk to either Bret or Sean?
0: I haven't, and you know what? I've been in the same place as brett a couple times but a it's always very difficult schedule wise because if brett gets in there and is rushed off to a signing and there's swarms of people around him and if i you know uh, my my main point in wrestling is as an announcer so that takes me away the entire show um it's it's very tough to get one-on-one and out of respect to Brett, I'm very hesitant because I'm not sure how he would receive it. Because let's face it, he's sick of talking about it. And there's nothing he's going to tell me that we don't already... He's not going to blow the beans to, to, to there's
1: me. There's a, you know. a pretty lengthy excerpt in his book about that. Yeah. I, I, of the 500 pages, I think maybe it feels like 120 are dedicated to that. I think that's pretty much what
0: he's going to say. You know, And I've, I've talked to... Uh, family members of his that are very intrigued. His ex-wife does not like me, I don't believe. I think Julie Hart's come out and, and criticized the DVD, but um, I have the utmost respect uh, uh, for Brett and, you know, he's, he's, he's overcome so much. I'm happy he's in a good place now and, um, you know, whether or not he knew about Montreal, um, you know, I hope that uh, that, that incident has, has been able to financially support him enough to, to where he can he can live a very relaxed and comfortable rest of his life.
1: Now, for the folks who haven't seen and want to see this DVD, how can they get a copy of it? You can go to MontrealTheory.com. Uh,
0: we have uh, the DVD available. We have the digital download. We have a lot of exclusive interviews I did on YouTube. Uh, I hope to be releasing... I'm a big fan of the Sammy Callahan one. I, yeah. I that one cracked me up. I, I enjoyed that. I, I, I'm i partial to the Paul London interview.
1: That, one, that one's my, my next favorite. We
0: accomplished absolutely nothing, but it was very entertaining. To be fair, I think that's most Paul London interviews. But you know what? I knew that going in because I know I knew what Paul was about and I knew what I was getting into. I was just upset that I didn't get Brian Kendrick um, because Brian's the big conspiracy buff of the two, and Brian was, I believe, back at the hotel throwing up at that point, um, and I didn't get a chance to get him. But I knew, I knew as out there as Paul's was – Brian would have taken it to another level. Um, But uh, I'm looking to get some T-shirts out soon. There have been some delays with that. But uh, you can also get it at my official website, joe-dombrowski.com. You need the dash because some stupid artist took the URL without the dash.
1: You sound like Juice Jennings. Um, He's mad that a kid uh, on Facebook, he couldn't get Facebook slash Juice Jennings. Because some kid had it, so he had to be the Juice Jennings. Maybe it's the same kid that has (laughs) joedombrowski.com. He just goes around registering random things. Yeah, just ruining our lives. It's only $3 a
0: year or so. I mean, to take it, I think you'd be. It's another conspiracy. That'll be the next DVD.
1: (laughs) (laughs) An entire conspiracy on web hosting. Just me and Juice Jennings beating up a small child. The way this weekend has gone, that's very possible. But, uh, yeah, an absolutely uh, fascinating look. And uh, you guys have also, you got some other really big projects. you got a series with Gregory Iron and a uh, series on refereeing with the great Jimmy Corderas. Yeah, I did refereeing
0: 101 uh, with Jimmy Corderas, which was the first ever referee seminar ever conducted in the United States, to my knowledge, uh, where we had six or seven referees, and basically Jimmy talked about the do's and don'ts, the wrongs and rights, the subtleties, the nuances, what Vince likes, what Vince hates. You know, I've noticed being an announcer, um, a big pet peeve of mine in indie wrestling is, okay, anybody can ring an let's hire this guy who'll do it for free, anybody can ref, anybody can manage, anybody can commentate, uh, which is a, a major disrespect to the art. Um, because I've been doing this for 11 years, and I still don't know anywhere near everything. Uh, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly evolving. I'm constantly getting taught new things, especially with Matt Stryker now my throat. Um, and, and, and I'm constantly It's a subtle, quick, <laughs> quick jab. I love Matt. I love Matt. Um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm always progr- I'm not the same announcer I was three years ago, and I wasn't the same I was three years before that. Um, and I hate the fact that. You have referees that will uh uh, announcers that will managers that will bring down a match quality when you have talented trained performers sacrificing their lives sacrificing their well-beings um they deserve that picture to be painted properly from all facets and you need somebody to tell the story verbally you need a referee to enforce the rules you need a manager to add his heat or whatever it is that he's there to do and um you know, I've been on a crusade as an announcer to to bring respect for my genre and and what I do, um, you know. And it's not a situation where, oh, book me because I can't be everywhere
1: every weekend. You know, I'm, I think that's I think that's why I'm getting play by play bookings is because you're not available.
0: Um, you're welcome. I don't really <laughs> know what thank to thank say you for to that. that. I think it's on um, the other side of the state where you don't get to. Okay, um, but I mean, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean. Whoever you use, make sure they take the job seriously. And you know, there's no training school for announcers, but you know, they have to respect the craft. They have to respect the craft, respect the talent, do their research, and learn how to tell a story. And and not just sit there and oh there's a headlock and there's an armlock and there's a wrist lock and there's an arm bar and there's right, another because hammer anybody lock. can call the move exactly don't tell me I can see what's happening tell me why it's happening tell me their objections their goals
1: now let me ask you this obviously you've I, I think I've six or seven years but you've been uh, doing that longer at first when you started doing it did you did you have a hard time with uh, the differential between calling the moves and trying to advance the story. And then you just sort of picked it up as it went along.
0: Yeah, it was it was uh, a touch and go there. I, I learned as I went, really, um, you know, because you know once in a while I would have a guy like a you know Jeff Gorman who's done some stuff with Ring of Honor and Chikara. I was working with him, you know, in Kingdom James a lot at first, um, and we did the, th- the three man deal. I just had to kind of find my place as kind of the Mike Tenay analyst. Well, Jeff did the play-by-play, and Kingdom was the very loud, obnoxious uh, ne'er do well.
1: Um, he was the ripper black heart of the group.
0: Yeah, so he, um, you know, he did his role. Jeff did his role. I did my role, and then once I started doing play-by-play, I would just, I would do a show. I'd watch it back, and I would compare myself to a Jim Ross, or I'd compare myself to a Joey Styles, or a Gorilla Monsoon, if it was more of a legend show, you know, whatever the style was, and just what am I doing? That they're doing differently on Raw or TNA or you know old school you know Nitro or whatever, and, and and what can I do differently? And you know, I emailed and connected like a mofo, and I tell everybody like in the '70s and the '80s, if if the internet was around, imagine what people would give. You don't have to cold call a territory. You can email. You can Facebook. You can get out there. I mean, everybody everybody in wrestling is at our fingertips. And I've had the the distinct pleasure of being able to email guys like Al Snow and Les Thatcher and Jim Cornette and Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. And, you know, uh, some of them I've had the pleasure of working with and some of them I haven't. But even just one email, even just Al Snow telling me 10 years ago, um, don't use pronouns and ask more questions. That advice changed how I looked at things. Because um, something so simple can just build into, into, into so many different directions and, and, and help you grasp what you're doing. Um, I'm still learning. Matt Stryker's trying to teach me to speak less, which I'm not good at. Um, you try- let the video speak for yeah, itself. Yeah, as far as, you know, a, a, a good example would be, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure, you know, we've all seen WrestleMania 30 by now, when Undertaker was doing his walk to the back.
1: What, what can you add to that to as said, an announcer? Right.
0: You know, uh, like Shawn Michaels and Rick Flair. I'm sorry I love you. You know, the super kick. Uh, granted, you don't get moments that magical on indie wrestling on average because WrestleMania is WrestleMania. Right. Um, and they've got the talent, the editing, the, the everything. Um, but at the same time, um, if there's a moment where the crowd reaction is speaking to it for itself, if you've got 500 people in a, in a small building going, this is awesome, that speaks more to the emotion than anything.
1: And I know what you're saying, I uh, also do sports play by play and Mm -hmm. baseball, basketball and football. And the one big thing that I, I was always taught is there are times where you can just let the game breathe a little bit. And I, and I had a hard time at first going from football because when, you know, like you said, there's no training for an announcer, right? So you have to learn the things on your own and think on your feet. But it was the uh, the expectance of, okay, there's the drop-down. Yeah. Now you're waiting. It's not like first and ten, here comes the play.
0: And see, I'm still learning because I'm so used to... And this may sound cocky, and I don't mean it to, but I'm used to certain events I've worked where the talent is not as polished at telling a solid story. Uh, they're still developing, or... Uh, some events where the color commentator is very limited, or the booking is very um, sporadic. And sometimes I have to fill in the holes, and sometimes I have to pull out a story that maybe I wasn't told about or maybe kind of uh, fudge it a little bit and and, uh, not necessarily invent but embellish some backstory. Um, And really, as strange as it sounds, That's kind of how I taught myself how to book. Assuming you think I'm a good booker. I don't know. You people at home can judge. Um, But I would watch other promoters and bookers do it. And as the storyteller, if something didn't make sense from month to month, I would be the one to to figure it out. And I would say, well, that doesn't make sense because last month he's doing this. Or, oh, that's a wasted opportunity because this guy had a win streak and now you're killing it. Um, And I was able to sit back and be like, you know what? If I had the reins to this ship... I'd put him with him. I'd do this and this. We could create some magic with this. Um, and and that's, uh, that's why it was such a, a pleasure to do um, you know, PWO and Prime because um, nobody booked TV style episodically week to week. And I really wanted to do that and see what we could do. And I thought we had a, you know, we had some peaks and valleys, but overall, we had a very entertaining six years.
1: And now the obvious follow-up question is: uh, I've seen it myself, but for those who don't know, what exactly happened with Prime Wrestling?
0: The biggest thing that happened with Prime Wrestling was uh, the TV situation, because Sports Time Ohio was acquired by Fox Sports at the start of 2013. And it took them about six months or so to get their corporate people in place to transition over from uh, Sports Time Ohio. It used to be owned by, the, I believe, the same family that owned the Cleveland Indians. Um, and now, of course, it's going from independently owned to Big Fox conglomerate. So they have a lot of corporate uh, policies there. And one of them happens to be what is called an error and omissions insurance policy. Which basically covers their asses in case we do anything stupid, Uh, you know. Which I'm I'm sure would include things like FCC violations or copyright infringement or stuff like that. You know, Fox doesn't want to be sued because you can get. They've been sued enough, to be honest. You can get a lot more money from Fox than you could from me. Trust me. Even though I wear these uh, uh, deceptively good-looking suits and bright-colored shirts. Well, Rupert
1: had more money till he uh, acquired MySpace.
0: Well, there you go. I mean. uh, you know, maybe maybe you can buy LiveJournal next. I'm not really sure, um, but <laughs> maybe Zanga, but or
1: Chodabrowski.com.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, without the dash, and then sell it to me. Um, but uh, the the policy cost upwards of six thousand dollars a year, which would have more than doubled uh, the expenses that we were operating on for television at that point. Sponsorship was down uh, because of some legal scandals that we were involved. That no, we're not we. That one particular person was involved in that I had to bear the brunt of, and I'm still paying myself back for. Thank you, dipshit. Um,
1: and. Um, those are just his views, not the views of the podcast. Uh,
0: no, no, you at home can decide who's a dipshit.
1: Um, I have to say that at some point <laughs> during every podcast, because a guest will say something I don't want the heat for. Yeah,
0: the views expressed <laughs> by the guests in this commentary, not That's necessarily actually on the clothes, reflect those of the staff <laughs> and management of this podcast. Um, but you know, I made the conscious decision. You know, I, I, I had I had put some money into this promotion because I believed in the platform, I believed in the talent, and um, I've made back. You know. Uh, 60 to 70% of that money. I, I, I made smart investments that I felt would benefit the company but not hurt me. Once it got to the point where I realized I was going to lose my ass on this, I, I put the ultimatum down to everybody else there. Listen, I'm committed to Resolution 6. If we have an investor, if we, not even an investor, if we have somebody to just front the bill and manage the money because I'm burnt out, and 2013 was a big year for me because I, I returned to Ring of Honor and did an episode of Television Forum that aired in 60 or 70 markets. I flew to Los Angeles and worked for Les Thatcher and Nigel McGinnis to do Wrestling Cares.
1: First of all, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, you mentioned that. How great of a cause is that?
0: Tremendous. Tremendous. And 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 the, the uh, locker room was great. I think they may have done different charities every time out there, so I'm not really sure, you know, the full list of them. But, um, you know, I, I released Montreal Theater, I released Jimmy Corderas, you know, I I... I, I branched out more into merchandising and it's like i i remembered holy crap wrestling's supposed to be fun and on some level depending on who you are and where you are in the game to some degree it should be profitable whether you're making enough money to buy yourself dinner whether you're making enough money to pay your mortgage somewhere in there or to stay at an interesting hotel in west virginia uh, yeah with with holes in the bed sheets and uh, no shampoo is that what you had uh, yeah and not to mention a hole in one of the towels and the floor was uneven but that's okay
1: ours didn't have a chain lock <laughs> I had a chain lock. We had a tank sitting in front of it, so we were all right.
0: <laughs> so you were well At guarded. At least until he we went
1: to sleep in the car. But I, I did all that stuff, and
0: I was like, this is supposed to be fun and profitable. So I'm committed to Resolution 6. If somebody else is can can be can, can pick up the slack that I had to pick up uh, uh, when the legal scandals went down, I can write you another year right now. I'm fine. I have, I have the talent. Uh, amongst me with, you know, Matt Cross, Zach and Jimmy Jacobs, Johnny Gargano, uh, uh, you know, how can you not? Um, but if not, I'm committed to Resolution 6, and I'll write a last chapter. And we did Resolution 6, we did what I thought was a very, very classy final chapter, and every personality on the show got what it deserved, whether it was right or wrong for them. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the villains got the comeuppance. A lot of the heroes got to stand tall. All of our stories ended. Uh, again, Paul London was there, which was a pleasure. Rhino was there, which was a pleasure. Jimmy Cordero was there, which was a pleasure. Um, and, and we said goodbye. And I, I would rather go out on a high note, on live-eye pay-per-view, than, you know, just deciding, oh, we're out of money. We've got to stop running shows for the next year and a half. So it was a great time in my life. I'm very proud of it. Um, I'll still be releasing the best of Prime Wrestling DVDs. We call them Prime Cuts. Uh, Jimmy Jacobs is out now. We'll probably do about another dozen over the next couple of years.
1: Those uh, Facebook or the website?
0: Uh, that'll that'll be on joe uh, -dabrowskicom and on PrimeWrestling.com.
1: And my if you remember the dash?
0: It's one-stop shopping. Gotta remember the dash? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's basically how that ended, and I'm I'm very proud we ended it like that. I, I got to walk out with no regrets. You know, a little bit of a debt that I need paid off, which you fans can help with. Um, PayPal only if you want to. Or maybe <laughs> no, put no. that on your Amazon wish list. I, I, I ask for no donations. I ask for no handouts. Uh, if you support what I do, buy the products. If not, uh, find something you do support and, 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 and give them your money because indie wrestling is about uh, uh, helping each other and uh, uh, keeping the uh, uh, good promotions around and the good talent around and... Uh, you know, uh, we gotta we got to clean this business up because nobody's going to do it for us, you know?
1: And, and that's that's a good segue to my next question is, you know, obviously being uh, mostly a Pittsburgh, Northeast, Ohio guy, what do you think about the... There's a lot made right now about the good versus the bad, especially in Ohio. I know that's not just, significant or just uh, specific to Ohio, but I'm sure it doesn't help that there's 400 promotions in Ohio. The problem
0: is... And if you think about it like this, it really puts it in perspective. Every indie show there is, is at least one fan's first indie show. So if they are going to an event that is uh, garbage, that is how they will equate indie wrestling. And they don't know the difference between... um, you know uh, uh, the the DBI right. versus AIW versus OCW versus War versus Remix Pro Wrestling versus APWA versus ABC versus XYZ. Right? They know WWE, probably TNA, maybe Ring of Honor, and whatever is local to them. If if to their if their first indie wrestling show is fat guys in t-shirt and jeans. They think all indie wrestling is fat guys in t-shirt and jeans, even if you're Chikara or you're anybody else, CZW.
1: So I don't think Jock Sampson's going to be very happy. You just uh, talked about but him. But you know
0: what? There's an exception to every rule because Jock Sampson is Jock Sampson,
1: and that works. He's Jock Sampson because that's who he is, How about this, he's not be- because he's lazy. We're shooting this on Sunday, June 1st. Tomorrow on Sunday Or Monday June 2nd Jock Sampson is going to be someone's dad He's having a baby tomorrow
0: Well hopefully not he personally hopefully Well no a, yeah his okay. wife
1: Linda yes Okay um, Good luck to that child That's Just Yeah <laughs> exactly Good luck. That's to exactly that child. what we said um, I, I
0: said the same thing when Bobby Beverly had a kid Good luck to that child Because if that child can make it to 18 Without a very poorly advised tattoos Then uh, that kid got off lucky
1: Vinny Scarboni as well just had one uh, yesterday, he and his wife, and we were joking with uh, the two of them a couple of weeks ago about there's going to be a Scarboni and a Samson baby born two days apart. I fear for the world. You know, it makes me feel so old
0: that so many people I know are getting married and having kids because I'm still a kid at heart, you know. Even though I, I, I have the professional demeanor, like... When I'm in a mall, I still shop like I'm 11 years old. You know, I go to the toys and the candy and the magazines and, you know, um, which, you know, a, a lot of stuff I, I acquire to resell, too, and I,
1: uh, toys are big things. You um, just described any mall trip with either Joey V or Jimmy Shane, except for they keep what they buy. Well, those are my best friends
0: now. See that? We got something in common. But, yeah, it just it's, it's so weird to me, like – I determined a long time ago, I'm not going to grow up. Your Toys R Us kid? Uh, well, until they sponsor me, I won't go that far. But, like, I'm stubborn to a fault. And it's like, I think a lot of people get into wrestling and look at it as a hobby. And I've never looked at it as a hobby, even when I wasn't getting paid anything. Um, because I just told myself, I'm going to make this work, somehow like uh, London and Kendrick did a DVD where they were talking about how like Van Dam was asked the question, when did you realize you were going to make it? And Rob was like, well, I always knew. And he just pictured himself there and he did what he needed to do to get there. And that was confidence on his part. And London and Kendrick were like, wow, that's us. And then they did it. And, you know, I'm sitting here and obviously I have a, lot not in common with Rob Van Dam, Paul Onan, and Brian Kendrick. but I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, <laughs> but that's how I vision myself. And I'm very lucky and fortunate where, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm getting rich off of wrestling, but, you know, through events and merchandising and DVDs, I've, I've had more success now than I've ever had. And I think if more people treated it like a business and treated it seriously... Um, they could grow a lot better and keep in mind that they are a product and they are a brand and nobody can market your brand better than you um or do damage to it both yeah i mean if you're emailing a promoter or if you're on a show you have to convince these people to reach into their wallet pull out money they probably cannot afford especially if they're promoters and invest it in you as a promoter, invested in you because I think I can get a return, or as a fan, invested in you because I think I will get an emotional experience, good or bad, worth my money. Um, And so many people don't do that and don't think of it like that or don't invest in themselves. Um, Well, Okay, maybe you can go out on a show like this and you can get a great reaction, but you know what? Imagine how much more that reaction would be if you looked the part. If you worked out, or if you could do a better interview, or if you got updated gear, whatever the case may be. Um, I've I've always been happy with my performances, but I've never been content where I was at. You know, it was, okay, I started in IWC, which I was very fortunate to do. Cause I was sharing locker rooms with AJ Styles and CM Punk from day one.
1: Um, AJ Styles, uh, we just did a show with him at HWA. The most awesome guy. And, and the fact that he's still so even keel mm-hmm. after everything he's done. Yeah.
0: I had the pleasure of doing an interview with him for a DVD that we'll have out at the end of the summer. That'll, uh, do a, uh, we'll have an interview and we'll have some old matches from IWC and 1PW and places like that. It's going to be called AJ Styles The Missing Matches because we all know about his TNA and Ring of Honor stuff, but he's done so many cool things on the indies that a lot of people have glossed over. Now, did you guys, uh, did he have all of that or how did you acquire that? Um, just in my travels. You know, I have great relationships with pretty much everywhere I've worked. Um, but, but but to my point, you know, starting in IWC, I was, okay, I'm in IWC, I'm in the top promotion of Pittsburgh. Cool. Now I want to go out of town. All right, I can get booked in Erie, PA. Cool. Kingdom James. That's an easy one. All right, now what? Man, I can work out of state. I've never done that before. All right. Ohio. I can go work for Jeff Traxler. Um, and then I took a big leap because then I went out of the country and worked to England uh, for 1PW, which was just... Totally good timing Not because I was talented Um, But then it's like Okay I'm doing that Now how can I get more money here And how can I How can I be working every weekend And how can I get into Canada And the Midwest And Georgia And New York And the West Coast And you know Okay How can I get noticed by WWE And TNA And Ring of Honor And at least be on the radar Of those people So if something If something happens My name can at least Cross through their mind once you know, keep building, 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 because you can always go somewhere higher. Um, you know, that's the mindset and mentality I have. Um, that's the mindset and mentality I try to tell the young kids coming up to have, because you're going to spend thousands of dollars to invest in yourself, training, or you should.
1: Well, you, well, well, I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> true. And and that's that's a to a, a point you made earlier. How about? As a promoter, there's – I refuse to say the name of the promotion, but in Ohio who has, I guess, caused a little bit of a stir, especially amongst the boys, that uh, they just had the fans uh, work not only as referees for their entire show but also did a fan battle royal.
0: And that goes back to my point earlier about now you're bastardizing the referee job. Referee – if the referees, all they had to do was count to three – you know, maybe. But, I mean, there's so many more intricacies and nuances to that that I don't have time to talk about here. But you can learn about in Referring one with Jimmy Corderas on joe Um But, I mean, here's the thing. If I can share a locker room with you and work the same show as you, why am I going to buy a ticket to see you? Well, I'm, I mean, that's and, – and I'm kind of a hypocrite because I came from the crowd – um, and I, I you know, I, I got in the business because I was 17 and my high school needed a fundraiser and I brought wrestling to them. And that's when I did my commentary first and I sucked, but that. But then, you can acknowledge that now. Oh, I acknowledged it then, trust me. Um, but, you know, that opened the door and I started writing for com And then, you know, seven or eight months later, they literally had no announcers. There was like two different weddings going on, like in the area. So, um, so that gave me the opportunity to, um, to do play-by-play, and, and, and the rest was history. Um, it was all uh, uh, timing from there. But I took the job very, very seriously. I treated it like a job. and I, wa- I wasn't playing wrestling announcer. I wasn't playing wrestling personality. I wanted to be one. Um, and a lot of people, you know, fans, they want to get in the ring, or they want to do it because it's fun or it's cool, or they did it in their backyard – but that hurts the business. Again, you, you're going to expect fans to pay money to see that. And then you're going to have other fans that should be paying money and they're doing it. Who's left buying tickets? The boys. Exactly. There, it's, it's, it's so, like, I get that you like wrestling. But you have to be able to take a step back and objectively look at it and think, Is my involvement in this thing I love going to help it or hurt it? And there's so many people that are, that are hurting wrestling. That's why no indies can draw. Um, and it's sad. And I wish that athletic commissions did what they should as far as regulating who's trained and who's licensed and who should be doing what instead of the lax practices they have. Because it could be a positive thing. But, I mean, obviously the money's in MMA shows these days, so that's what they're going to focus on. Um, but I, I just wish that... As a talent in the business, don't be – like, Les Thatcher told me we're all whores. It just comes down to establishing price, and I agree with that. Um, But don't be – like, if you've been in this business a few years, and there's a place that's letting fans in the ring and wrestling and refereeing, and they're paying you 5 or $10 or whatever, ask yourself why you're doing it. Unless you're getting exposure, having fun, or making money – you shouldn't do it. At least one of those three, preferably two. Um, so, is a show like that going to help your career? Is Vince going to see that show? Is Ring of Honor going to watch that tape? Oh, we. Oh, that one guy's not a fan. Let's sign him up. No, you know. I mean, especially wrestlers. You know, you, they always talk about a bump card. You have a certain amount of bumps that you can perform in your life before that card gets filled up and you can't do it anymore and your back gives out or your body breaks down. Don't waste your bump card bumping for fans.
1: I have uh, two last questions for you as we get set here to uh, I saw Don West back here. Again, we're backstage at APWA or in front of right now. And
0: I'd like to moment. point out one of my heroes, Kevin Sullivan, is here of the Army of Darkness.
1: That's one of the two questions I was just going to ask you. Uh we were talking about this the other day. You want to ask me if I did a bad
0: Kevin Sullivan impression?
1: <laughs> no, no, I'll tell him. Okay. Um, you know, you always, even inside, there's always a little kid that you can separate professional and personal. But has there ever been a guy where you were doing a show or you met him where inside you were just, you you were elated and you couldn't believe you were getting to work with that guy? A lot
0: at first because I was, you know, sharing locker rooms with AJ and Punk. And, you know, I was a big TNA fan at the time. And to me, AJ was the coolest wrestler in the world. Um, And, you know, still is. Uh, You know, and then when legends would come in, like Dusty and Lawler and McFoley and Shane Douglas and Raven and guys like that, um, you know, it was was, was so cool. Um, When I got a chance to work with guys more directly, because, you know, I'm working with them, but I'm not really working with them. I'm working near them, touche,
1: per se, I guess. But, but like, in a way, you're all sort of working together. We're all working together. If it's you and a color guy, the referee and the two singles, we're, the five of you are sort of trying to tell those. We're same We're all story.
0: working together for the same common goal, but I'm not necessarily working in direct contact with right. them. Um, when I had a chance to work with Jim Cornette directly as a commentator, that was big for me. It was death before dishonor. Eight, I think, I'll probably get an email if that's wrong Um, in Toronto Where I had a chance to call The main event with Jim Cornette and Dave Prezak, uh, which was Davey Richards versus Tyler Black Who everybody knows now as Seth Rollins That yeah, he, he turned out alright That was a, an honor and a pleasure For me, working with Mark Madden On a headset, working with Matt Stryker On a headset, working with Steve Carino Um, you know, now that that door Is open, um you know, it's an honor and a privilege all the time. But to me, even though it wasn't a show, um, the highlight of me meeting people was being able to meet Bobby Heenan last year at uh, WrestleCon in New Jersey. And again, that was one of those things where it's like, this is where I need to be. This is what the business is for me. Um, you know, me- meeting Bobby Heenan and having the pleasure of. You know, having him ask about me and having him do some shtick with me, having me thank him for everything he's done and for him to get a really alarmed look in his eye, oh, no, 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 oh, no, it's a good thing, Bobby. Oh, mm. wipe his brow. He's still the same Bobby Heenan. And for me to have that little bit of moment, and it, it breaks my heart that Bobby Heenan and I will, you know, very, very, very more than likely never have a chance to interact on camera at all But to have that one little moment With him Because if there's a reason I'm an announcer It's Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan The 1992 Royal Rumble And the magic Everybody created Um, I used to I used to play with my little action figures And I would commentate And I would be Gorilla Monsoon And I'd be Bobby Heenan And I would sit there alone arguing with myself (laughs) And people wonder why I'm a sociopath Um, and, and and
1: and or if they didn't, they're going to.
0: As weird as that sounds, like that got the commentary bug, and doing uh, you know my own shows with my figures gave me the booking bug, and then when I got into the business, uh, it wasn't fun anymore because I realized I was doing everything wrong. But then it gave me a chance to learn, and like here's the right way to do it, and to actually do it uh, in in real life with actual people was just such a blast. So. You know, uh, professionally meeting Bobby Heenan and personally meeting Paul Lennon because we hit it off. To quote Paul, uh, because I can't put it any better than this, he says to me via text message, um, We must have been very, very close in a past life. All right, well, you got me there. I can't argue that. Um, You know, so it's like you meet somebody and it's just instant chemistry. You feel like you've known them all your life. So to meet Paul, to meet Bobby, in the same weekend, uh, not to mention sell trading cards to Tony Atlas. Um, unbelievable experience, and I don't know if anything... And meeting Sullivan that weekend, too, was great because we talked Montreal theory, and we had a great discussion about that. Um, and I actually spawned a debate with, with other wrestlers
1: about Montreal offer that discussion. So. Um, and you speaking about Kevin Sullivan, how important is it that he's sort of come on as a uh, almost an advisor for APWA? Sullivan's a
0: genius. Um, I, I always thought Sullivan was a genius, but the f- when he came out and said on a DVD recently that the entire Dungeon of Doom debacle was only done to put Hogan in a comfort zone to create the NWO was wow. genius to me because you can't, you know, Sullivan did the DVD say you think I don't know that was a bunch of bullshit? And he goes into the whole thing about you know with feeding Hogan all these monsters that he was used to, so Hogan would trust Kevin. I think that's so smart. When WCW was kicking Vince's ass, Kevin was
1: booking it, um, and he is a master at booking heat. And that's interesting too, because I recently just watched uh, the War Games match that they did with uh, Team Hulkamania or whatever the heck he called them. But uh, and I kind of thought that same thing, where when they came in there, okay, the whole thing was a build-up. He's got uh, you know guys who are world champions. He's got Savage and Luger on his team, and Jimmy Hart. Mm-hmm. Okay, so clearly they're at the Hulkamania disadvantage, and Hulkamania runs wild.
0: As Kevin would say, creative control. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sullivan's always been so cool, and I, you know, I was I was too young when he was uh, in the prime of his career to really appreciate him. But going back and watching some of that Florida Championship Wrestling stuff. Um, and, 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 you know, the army of darkness and the greater booted Dean led me to the lady of the third eye in the valley of the leper on top of the Himalayas. All that stuff's so cool and it's so weird, you know, and, and and it stands out. And even though Sullivan, for his time, you know, was a little on the short side, you still believed he could beat the
1: crap out of anybody there and just drive a spike into your forehead. And I always felt the same way about that as I did ECW tests. Yeah, yeah, he's 5'9", but dude, he just turned you into a puddle.
0: It's hard to make it work, but Sullivan was so bulky and so tough and so menacing, he made it work. And anybody in this business, if you have a chance to learn under Kevin Sullivan, whether as a booker or a wrestler or anything, you should do it. Because again, invest in yourself, invest in your product. Sullivan's been there and done that. He's made the money. He's wrestled, he's booked, he survived the territories, he survived the Monday Night Wars, and he's still here. And his mind is still sharp as a tack. So, and there aren't a lot of those guys left. No, there aren't a lot of the. You know, Vince has them or they're out of the business because we're in a slump right now or whatever the case is. Um, but any chance I would have of picking Kevin Sullivan's brain... I absolutely would and it's an honor to share a locker room with you know 11 years I've never crossed paths with Kevin Sullivan until WrestleCon last year and then the first show would be this weekend so it's an honor for me and I know it's an honor for the talent as well to again be able to work with Kevin more directly and
1: you know what'd you think what'd I do right what I do wrong it's just it's priceless when you uh, when you just ring announced like uh, last night and tonight do you sit in a crowd and call the match in your head um not so much anymore
0: because i've i i did the math on being a sociopath it should be easier uh well (laughs) there's a lot of worse things running through my mind um i did the math bro and i have averaged one match a day every day of my life for the past eight and a half years wow (laughs) so you know i I, i'm i'm somewhere well over three thousand right now so to me if i have a night to just sit and ring it out sometimes it's almost like a night off where I can sit back and if Kevin is sitting next to me or if the promoter is sitting next to me I can just kind of soak in the sights and sounds and just kind of be a fan again and just appreciate the emotion that they're drawing from this crowd because these for for the size of it, um, it maybe backhand in count but for the size of this crowd they're among the loudest groups I've ever heard
1: I was thinking that last night, sitting amongst them, that, wow, like, it really sounds like there's 3,000 people
0: in here. It does. And and testament to being able to create that magic and know what the audience wants. Because this isn't an audience that would be as into Ring of Honor or Dragon Gate. They like old school. They like simplistic storytelling. They like how it was back in the day. And APWA has given it to them. And, again, a guy like Kevin who lived it, who knows how to uh, to instill those tricks of the trade. It's It's magical to be a part of any time you get to look at a kid and just see how pumped they are and and, and to see them look up you know i mean to me facade is just an well facade is not necessarily a (laughs) normal person that's a bad example but facade is 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 a, a guy i've known since he was training he's just you know he's he's um he's my friend um but to these kids he's a hero you know, he's
1: larger than life. He's this enigma. I kind of forget that sometimes, too, yeah. with you don't necessarily realize I consider Sherman Tank a pretty good friend of mine, and being with him, and, and that's a guy who does a lot for kids, and, you know, he's looked at the same way as a superhero. Exactly. And you forget that, like, oh, that's just, that's just Sherman. Exactly, exactly. Um,
0: but it's so magical to be able to create that, to stir that up inside, um any fan, no matter what the age, no matter what the background, um, the business is about emotion and eliciting that emotion. And, and it's about uh, a never-ending question, a question that never gets answered, that you have to keep coming back month after month to chase that answer. Um, but most of all, it's about passion. And, and you know, my friend Gregory Iron always says, not everybody understands wrestling, but everybody understands passion. And you can you can sense the passion that the in ring talent has. You can sense the ta- the passion that the fans have for it, and and it makes me more passionate. To where still after eleven years, sort of like I, recharges you a little bit. I can come here with a smile on my face. I can come here happy to go to work, and I can come looking forward to. Uh, another magical night in the wacky and wild As world opposed of independent to the, wrestling. I suppose the
1: part where a lot of Hindi guys, every night they quit and still come back the next Oh, level. brother,
0: brother, brother, brother. Uh, kids these days, I don't understand.
1: Uh, my last question for you is, uh, it's sort of a tradition here. We like to end these podcasts with a road story or a funny story that uh, I guess you can tell without getting heat from one of the boys. Okay. Let me think about that. Um...
0: As but, long as it doesn't involve poop, I've had enough of poop. No, poop there's road no stories. There's no poop stories. Well, I could probably think of one. Yeah, exactly. I did used to ride with the road to the Jimmy DeMarco, but that's another story. Um, one of my favorite stories is um, first time we went into England for one PW uh, because that was probably the biggest circus I've ever been a part of. Because I think there were like 14 of us on the flight, very
1: conspicuous looking people. <laughs> and um, did you guys? I was going to ask this. Did you have a problem? I know wrestlers have a big problem with taking their gear overseas. Like, they get their bags checked by security and um, issues with, like, the visa or whatever. Well, the
0: unwritten rule, well, I mean, we weren't necessarily uh, 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 totally properly equipped to to meet with our wonderful friends at Customs. (laughs) So it was kind of a touch and go. I mean, a, a few of the people that were on our flight, that were, uh, uh, booked on the show, coincidentally had a wedding to go to in England, and a few others were just simply training and not getting paid, and, uh, um, like, uh, you know, Raven, uh, uh, was in line, he had said, you know, what he does for a living, and then everybody got questioned after that, like, Loki was after him, I was after Loki, um, but
1: we all got through. Abyss, Sandman, like, all of us got through. Abyss is the one we asked. He tr- I guess he tried to get into Canada one time, and they asked him uh, about his mask. And he just responded with, I'm into some weird shit, bro. <laughs> and the guy's just like, just go ahead. Just, Love it. We're good here. Love it. Um, but, yeah,
0: we all are crossing into the country, and we all make it fine. And then about two hours later, Customs calls the hotel looking for the promoter. And, uh the next group of guys, uh, it was the two refs, Bruce Gray and Bryce Ramsburg, who I love. I should have
1: known it was Bruce Gray.
0: Uh, it's always Bruce Gray, bro. And uh, Chris Sabin and Tracy Smothers. And, and nobody died. Customs is asking about them. Um, and from what I had heard, Tracy was sitting with uh, uh, Sabin and the refs at the detainee place. And w- whatever they call it. And... Tracy leans over to Saban. Oh, and first of all, they, they question Tracy to, to like, "Oh, what do you do for a living?" Oh, hey, I'm a maintenance man. Well, why do you got all these uh, 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 custom stamps in your passport? Oh, I, I used to, I used to bodyguard, man. And then, uh, then we we uh, get to where they're detained, and uh, 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 Smothers leans over, and is like, "Hey, Saban, here's how we're gonna get across the border, man." You see that female customs official over there? Here's what I want you, here's what I want you to do, man. I want you go over there. I want you hit her with your finish. <laughs> that was the end of the plan. There was no first we do this, then we do this, then we do this. So just go cradle shock the customs official. I don't know how that would have worked. <laughs> I'm sure there were others there. But that was Tracy, man. And I, I miss Tracy so much. I hope he's doing well. And I know I see him back riding the roads again and um tracy uh, uh, uh one of the nicest guys and a- anything Tracy can say out of his mouth will put a smile on your face because he's he's just Tracy you have
1: to know him to understand he's uh actually we have a list that Ripper and I have a list of uh, guests that we really like Guest wish list he's pretty high on the list uh, I would not uh, blame you for one bit but uh, I just wonder how much
0: editing I'd have to do afterwards uh, you know what he um he can go on a bit, so I think that might be like a two- or three-parter.
1: Well, I thank you, sir, for joining us, and if uh, you want to buy any of the 1,800 DVDs that you currently have in production or on sale, it's joe-dombrowski.com. Yes,
0: I need to mention quickly, our newest one is uh, Finding Zach Gowan, the life story of one-legged superstar Zach Gowan. We talked to Jimmy Jacobs, Truth Martini, Paul London, Gregory Iron, Rhino, Jimmy Corderas. We talked to Zach's mom, his fiancée... Um, We talk about uh, beating cancer, beating drug addiction, WWE, where he is today, his darkest days, uh, uh, and his bright days ahead. And um, truly a very special person, very special story, and I'm I'm honored to have been able to tell Zach's story.
1: And lastly, if folks want to reach out to you on social media.
0: Facebook.com slash Joe Dombrowski Wrestling or Twitter at Joe underscore Dombrowski. It's more punctuation. They always screw with me on the punctuation. Joe underscore Dombrowski on the Twitter machine.
1: I thank you for joining us here on the last single-digit episode of Tales from the Indies. Coming up on the way back from APWA to the Hall of Fame city of Canton in the next episode, I don't know why or how we're going to do this, but it's myself and the Hall of Fame city Hitman in the first Tales from the Indie on the Road edition. So be on the lookout for that. Good luck. Again, thanks to my guest And Joe Dombrowski, this has been Tales from the Indies. Thanks for listening. And I hope you can survive the rest of these and come back soon. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Tales from the Indies, an inside look at
0: independent professional wrestling. The thoughts and opinions of the guests of this program do not necessarily reflect the
1: hosts of Tales from the Indies. If adult language and brief nudity bother you, find another damn podcast.